Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. It is Tuesday, February 15th, and this is the 94th edition of the broadcast and the podcast. Thanks so much for being with us. Um, it's February in Montreal, so very cold, um, but I'm happy to be here and to be able to continue to share interviews and voices with you. Um, I spoke with the directors of a very important documentary called No Visible Trauma. It's also being called uh, Above the Law. Um, it is a project by Marc Serpa Francourt and Rabinder Upal. Um, it is an initiative that explores the realities of police uh, abuse and violence within Canada but particularly looks at the realities in the Western Canadian city of Calgary. This is a brief write-up on the film. In the midst of a global uprising against police violence and systemic racism, No Visible Trauma examines a deeply troubled police department and reveals the devastating consequences of unchecked police brutality. Despite its relatively low crime rates, recent years have seen the Calgary Police Service shoot and kill more people than officers in any other Canadian city, and more than either the New York or Chicago Police Departments in 2018. Five years in the making, the film unravels the intertwined stories of three individuals who were the victims of extreme violence at the hands of police officers. From the kidnapping and beating of a young immigrant from Ghana to the fatal shooting of an unarmed man during a, quote, wellness check, the film exposes a criminal justice system that fails to hold police officers accountable for their actions. So that's the write-up on the film. It's a production of Lost Time Media. Um, and I spoke with the directors uh, in the lead-up to a screening and also discussion that we will be having with them, hosted through Cinema Politica. I work with Cinema Politica, uh, which is an activist film um, documentary uh, initiative, uh, cinemapolitica.org. Uh, on the 28th of February, we are going to be hosting a conversation with the directors and activists who have been working on uh, the issues of police violence and brutality and community campaigning to oppose that systemic injustice. So you can find more info about the film and also the discussion we'll be having on the 28th of February at cinemapolitica.org. Um, so for the broadcast, the podcast today, <laughs> I'm going to be highlighting a conversation with the two directors uh, in the lead up to this event. This is the 94th edition of Free City Radio. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. And here's my conversation with the directors of No Visible Trauma. Okay, so um, we are going to be discussing the film No Visible Trauma today. It details the experiences of individuals within Calgary who have experienced police brutality and violence. Um, the film features three cases, but addresses these cases within a larger structural context of systemic police violence, looking also at the realities of anti-Black racism within the context of policing, but also looking at the ways that other communities who experience marginalization, uh, people struggling with uh, economic precarity or homelessness also interact with police 
and it details the experiences of families and also activist lawyers who are addressing this reality. So I'm joined by the two directors uh, today. Um, maybe if you could both just introduce yourself, uh, speak briefly about how you came to work on this film and why it was important uh, for you. Uh, I'll start with you, uh, Robinder. Yeah, so um, we began working on the film back in 2015 when we met Gottfried. Uh, and when we heard his story, it was immediately this moment of shock that this was something that was going on in Calgary. And when we actually got a hold of the trial transcript, we just realized there were so many issues with everything that had happened to him. Um, one of the big things for us was that he had filed this formal complaint um, and then nothing had been done with the officer. And the moment where we real, realized that this was a bigger story than just Godfrey's was when the same officer, it eventually got leaked when uh, a couple of years later, um, charges were announced against an officer who had slammed someone to the ground in the Calgary Police Service parking lot. And when we realized this was the same officer who had been involved in Godfrey's incident, that was when the story really blew open. And we realized we had to take a broader look at what was going on in Calgary and why that initial complaint had never been addressed and how this same officer was allowed to go back out in the street, interact with the public, and then again, take someone who is handcuffed and assault them. So that's when we really started looking at the other issues. And every time we would take a look at one thing, another would pop up. And the case of Anthony Heffernan, which is the, the sort of the third case in the film, was one that was covered in the media, but there was never really any resolution to it. Um, it was a young man, He's in a hotel room using drugs and isn't responding to the staff at the hotel. And uh, the hotel staff calls the police. And instead of offering some sort of help, five police officers kick in the door. And within seconds, Anthony Heffernan was shot dead. Um, and his family has been looking for justice ever since, because even though the, uh, the accountability body in that case, the, the police watchdog ACERT, did recommend charges, the Alberta Crown Prosecution Service declined to prosecute the officer saying there was no reasonable likelihood of conviction. Um, and when we pair that with what happened with Godfred, where Godfred was the one charged with assault, even though he had been beaten badly by a police officer, um, we realized that there was just a huge imbalance in how prosecutors were bringing cases against individuals. And we just had to connect these issues in a, in a larger film. And, and that's what really prompted us to, uh, to take a broader look at the Calgary Police Service. Respect. Uh, thanks for sharing all that, uh, Rabinder. I do want to hear a bit about how you came to work on this film personally, but maybe we can get to that a bit later. Um, I'd like to hear that from both of you, but maybe just picking up on what was just said. Um, Mark, if you could share a bit about the film um, uh, there was a few points mentioned that I think that maybe people who are listening to this might not know if they haven't watched the film or haven't lived in Alberta. So one is ACERT, uh, if you could just explain what that is. And I think that I asked that question specifically because we've had similar campaigning and issues in the context of Quebec with police investigating themselves essentially through a body that maybe is presented to be at arm's length uh, when there's a police-involved killing. 
but in fact, it's been illustrated in numerous cases that there's a lot of collusion between um, the, the process of investigation and the police. So I'd love to hear a bit about that because uh, that can kind of get lost in the headlines. And um, thank you so much for outlining uh, the, the story of um, its uh, Godfert. Um, uh, so thanks for outlining that, Rabinder. But uh, Mark, if you could share a bit about who this person is, because I think that's really important to the, the film and the story and, and why it's so um, striking on many, many levels. Sure, yeah. So Gottfried, um, who, as Rabinder mentioned, is really like, you know, we're like, I'll just pause for a second and say, you know, we're both born and raised in Calgary. And, uh, you know, we have been making documentaries together for many years. Um, you know, we didn't come at this with sort of a, it wasn't, oh, like, you know, Calgary police were out to get them. This was going to be a polemic or a smear about them. It's not at all like how it started for us. It really started with Godfrey's story. He's a young uh, man originally from Ghana. He came to Calgary in his late teens. Um, he was 26 at the time of the incident, which is back at the end of 2013 now. And, uh, you know, for those who haven't seen the film, you know, basically uh, folks might be familiar with the concept of sort of a, of a starlight tour. This is a term for um, officers who tend to sort of as punishment for whatever reason, you know, drop somebody off in the cold. You know, this was notorious in Saskatchewan in previous decades. In Godfrey's case, he, um, you know, there was a, he was driving some friends home from a party. He was the designated driver. They got stuck in the snow. Some cops showed up and apparently didn't like his attitude, um, chucked him in a van and drove him into an isolated uh, construction site, uh, basically in the opposite direction of his home and dumped him in minus uh, 28 degree weather with the wind chill, wearing no winter clothing at all, which is, you know, here we are in the winter and I'm in Toronto, you guys are in, you know, Montreal, but I mean, going outside and minus five or something like that without a toque, I just instantly, I like, I always, always, always now think about uh, just how horrendous uh, a thing that is to do to somebody, let alone in, again, minus 28 in the middle of the night in an isolated place where nobody was around to see him uh, or to help him. He had nowhere to get warm. So, uh, called 911 and essentially, um, you know, eventually an officer was sent and uh, proceeded to uh, taser and beat him instead of uh, helping him. So that's sort of Godfrey's background. Uh, this is not somebody who's a lot of knee-jerk reactions. Oh, it must've been up to no good. I mean, this was somebody who had, uh, you know, always worked, never had any issues with the law before, et cetera. So it's sort of, um, you know, obviously is, is uh, from Africa. So there's all these, you know, typical sort of knee-jerk reactions, presumptions about who this person is and maybe what they might've been doing. but. Uh, yeah, that's a sort of Godfrey story to relate it to ACERT, which I'm glad you brought up is, is really important. And um, obviously, you know, partly how this relates, you know, like you said, we're specifically talking about Calgary, but really this is a, a Canada wide issue. So ACERT is the Alberta Serious Incident Response Team. They are uh, often referred to as a watchdog, which people maybe not unjustly presume to be some sort of nonprofit or whatever. They are very much a government agency. Uh, most of the larger provinces in Canada have their own equivalent in Ontario. It's the SIU in Quebec, the acronym is escaping me. Um, but essentially this is the body that is tasked with involving serious incidents involving police officers. So that could be, uh, shootings. It could be assaults. It could in include just sort of gross inappropriate behavior, uh, of whatever sort of anything sort of essentially that's, that's bordering or evidently on the criminal side involving police officers and their behavior. Um, in Alberta, one of the uh, aspects of ACERTs that's particularly disturbing is the fact that 
um, many of the uh, employees are uh, not only, I mean, it's a mix. There are some that are former police officers, but many of them are actually seconded from the very departments they're investigating, primarily uh, Calgary, Edmonton, or the RCMP, which would cover most of the province. Um, this is in contrast to, for example, SIU in Ontario, where there's no such thing as seconded officers. They may, and most of the investigative teams uh, by definition in, at the SIU in Ontario would be a former officer and then a civilian investigator. Uh, whereas in Alberta uh, at ACERT, uh, again, you have this insane thing. So for example, in the case of Anthony Heffernan, which for those who haven't seen, the film is sort of a classic uh, welfare check, so to speak, gone wrong. Um, you know, in that case, the, the main investigator uh, on that, uh, on, on the Heffernan file was uh, a many decade, you know, veteran from the, uh, the Calgary police service. So there's, you know, the, um, as much as as much as ACERT, uh, you know, would like to uh, uh, reassure the public, um, you know, that there's no uh, no nothing to look at here in terms of uh, conflicts of interest. Uh, I mean, the optics of it are are terrible. Um, so even you know, there's uh, I just think long term that's uh, that's not really something that's that's appropriate. And um, you know, there is some mention in the in the longer version of the film, uh, No Visible Trauma. It's discussed, you know, that Susan Houston, who recently resigned. But it was the head of ACERT, you know, raised this question as to essentially whether or not a police officer, uh, whether you could get a fair trial, not fair for the police officer, but fair for the victim in Alberta, given the close relationship of the uh, Alberta Crown Prosecution Service with the various police departments. And she raised the issue of whether or not it would be necessary to send it uh, out of province. So this is something that happens where, you know, Newfoundland or whatever different provincial entities will either send a file or request somebody to come in, a judge, whatever it was. Uh, in that case, she raised this as this being something that might be necessary, but ultimately um, it was not. There's a line, something to the effect of, well, these people work with each other every day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's sort of a summary of, of, of ACER. It sounds like maybe Rabinder has something to jump in with here. Yeah. And I just like in the last few years, uh, we've seen multiple cases, uh, including the Heffernan case, where ACERT has recommended that charges be brought against a police officer. These are very serious cases. In the case of Anthony Heffernan, he was killed. Uh, in other cases, there were severe beatings. There's a case of Ronnie McCasco. And a third one, another uh, officer being caught on video severely abusing uh, a handcuffed suspect. And ACERT does their thorough investigation. And even though they rarely ever recommend charges against officers, they've done dozens and dozens where they haven't, they finally recommend charges. And what does the Crown Prosecution Service do? Well, they think suddenly that there's no possible outcome where they could have a conviction, even though against civilians with, with much less evidence, they bring cases. So in, in that last case that I referred to where there was a severe beating, a, a, a handcuffed suspect had his head slammed into a brick wall, uh, a former solicitor general from BC even commented that this should be reviewed judicially because what's happening at the Alberta Crown Prosecution Service, which is ultimately responsible for justice in Alberta, and they're not elected, they're not uh, really known to the public, but they make these decisions that affect the public, uh, that their decision should be reviewed. And I think there's a real question here that the film raises about the power of unelected appointed prosecutors to decide whether or not a police officer will even be charged. And we're not just talking about murder charges. We're talking about other, you know, there's lots of other charges that you can bring 
as a crown prosecutor that fall short of, of second degree murder. And even those like negligence leading to death, those are never brought. And it really makes you wonder how can you ever have anything amounting to justice for a life that's taken or someone who's so severely abused if the people who are doing the prosecuting never see fit to bring those charges just because, you know, in their imagination, this is never going to lead to a conviction. Well, if we never even have a trial, how can we know? And so there's a real frustration, I think, in Alberta, but this is also something we've seen in different jurisdictions where all the pieces line up for a charge and at the last second, the crown uh, doesn't bring the charge. And and the thing with that decision is that it's not even really, you can't appeal it. So the Heffernans tried when the Heffernan family tried to appeal the decision to a judge saying, this is a decision that should be prosecuted, this, this, uh, the killing of our son. Um, we, don't th- we don't agree with this decision by the Alberta Crown Prosecution Service. And the judge basically said, well, the Canadian law doesn't allow me to second guess a Crown, prosecutor, a crown Prosecutor's jurisdiction. So we have, we have an issue that is systemic that's not really being addressed when it comes to uh, real accountability for, for police officers, and that is across the country. Thanks so much for outlining all of that. I mean, in so many ways, I think what is strong about the film is somehow it captures these three narratives um, around police violence, killings, abuse in Calgary, but it also shows those cases as they exist within the families impacted, but also the, the city. You know, and I, on an aesthetic level, the film is very beautiful. There's a lot of shots of the city in winter, and you really get a, a feeling for also what one of the, the main um, people featured in the film, um, uh, Godford, experienced um, in the context of having been left outside in the cold. Uh, you know, and, and Mark, thank you so much for bringing up these quote-unquote starlight tours, which sounds sort of romantic, but are deadly in the case of, you know, Indigenous people who've experienced these drop-offs in the middle of winter in Saskatchewan by the cops. All of this to say, um, you've shared, both of you, and thank you, some of the very important specific details around how the film depicts the struggles for justice. Why was it important for, and, you know, you can both also maybe share a bit about what brought you to make this film? Why did you want to depict these issues in the format of a documentary? Because often there's quite a few, thankfully, excellent reports, podcasts about these issues out there, uh, very strong critiques of the police investigation process in different parts of Canada. So why was it important to try to tell this story specifically about Calgary and within the context of a documentary? I can tell with the, the, the images and the music that you spent a long time on the process of making the film? Yeah, I mean, we started research in 2015 and the film came out in 2020. So it was about, uh, you know, five years and we're still going in a variety of ways. Um, so it's interesting, you know, when we started, the initial iteration uh, was going to be totally focused on Godfrey's story and it was actually going to be an interactive web documentary, which is something we've done uh, in the past. Part of it was just we saw this really interesting opportunity, an important opportunity to really, you know, utilize the 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 exhibits from trial, the evidence, and really sort of lay out, you know, in a in a textual way, and a uh, you know in a textured way, also, you know, what what had gone on there. In the end, we shifted um, to a more conventional um, 
you know, documentary film for a variety of reasons. I mean, part of it is that the, you know, as we started looking into these other stories and clearly, you know, it, it there, you know, the, the, the substance for like a bigger uh, examination, I think uh, really behooved, uh, you know, us to engage with it. I think that it's really important for us to have, and there hasn't been a lot of this in Canada. Um, this is really one of the first, uh, you know, I, to our knowledge, at least in recent years, the first sort of, you know, large format, um, you know, documentary film to engage with specific brutality, uh, police brutality and violence cases in Canada um, is really, it's very important to have these like concrete narrative examples, you know, people that uh, stories that it's not just a passing news item, which again, I'm not to knock the news, you know, there's a role for that, but more in-depth engagement, I think, has a lasting impact. You know, it's not, you know, I think that people, we've heard so much feedback from people who have come away from this film just saying, well, they'll never look at, uh, you know, people in Calgary, oh, we'll never look at the Calgary police again. We're talking, you know, we did a presentation at a at an event and there was an older white gentleman, you know, and when he started talking, it sounded like, oh, okay, you're, you know, maybe there's a bit of an attack coming here. But actually what he says is that he, he was basically shocked and dismayed that, you know, he'd lived in Calgary all his life. He'd never had no idea of the kind of things that were going on and he would never look at these police officers again. So I think that's really um, at the end of the day where so much of the, of the power lies, uh, you know, is to be able to lay out those, those stories uh, in detail. I, I think the other thing that Mark touched on a little bit is just that uh, these issues can kind of get lost in the news, partially because they require uh, a lot of work. And, and as we know, a lot of the news organizations in Canada, there's not, there aren't the resources to dedicate to one or two cases and, and put the threads together. And so I think that's one of the roles that documentary really does have. You have the investigative journalism side of it, but also the humanizing um, storytelling side of it, putting them together, but also having the long haul approach where you can actually look at a story, follow it over years and make the connections that are necessary. Um, to to really land the point, which is larger and, and systemic, it's hard to do in, in a news story. And we know, you know, the reporters who are working on these issues in Calgary, they're great reporters, but they're overworked and they they're stretched thin in terms of if you know, there's one court reporter for CBC, there's another for Post Media, and they have to cover pretty much everything that goes on in the Calgary courts. A lot of stuff does inevitably get missed or get left on the editing floor. And I think there's a real role for, for us and for other documentary filmmakers and, and for also, you know, podcasts and other mediums to pick up where our news is, is not able to fit the, fit the, the, the job. Right on. Well, I encourage um, people to look up the film, uh, No Visible Trauma. Um, I know it's a version of it streaming on CBC Gem. Uh, I think it's season four. Um, and uh, it will be uh, shown through Cinema Politica later in February uh, with a discussion um, including you both on the 28th, so look out for that, cinemapolitica.org. It's great to speak with both of you about your work. Um, great film, and uh, really appreciate you both taking the time to share your thoughts and reflections. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, if anyone wants to check out uh, <clears throat> the CBC version, it's called above the law um no visible trauma is the the feature that we'll be screening on the 28th as you said uh for those who want to find us on the socials it's above the law doc on instagram and facebook or lost time media on um 
on Twitter. And we'll just also plug, you know, we are always like to uh, remind folks or not remind, inform folks that uh, there is a, a an ongoing uh, GoFundMe campaign for jo- uh, Godfrey called Justice. If you look up Justice for Godfrey GoFundMe, uh, you'll see it there. The impacts of what he's been through are uh, still very much ongoing. And uh, every little bit, I think, uh, helps to and is always a big morale boost for him to see Oh, a donation came in from across the country. So, yeah. So thanks so much for having us and I uh, hope everyone will check out the film. Yeah, thank you. Thanks and uh, take care. That was a conversation with the directors of No Visible Trauma, uh, which is a documentary, as you've heard about, exploring the realities of systemic police violence and systemic racism, how it impacts policing within the context of Calgary. But of course, this is a, uh, broader discussion about how that reality affects cities across uh, Canada, but also more broadly. Uh, So thank you so much to uh, the directors for being on the program this week, Marc Serpa, Francourt, and Robinder Upal. Um, And yeah, I would encourage people to participate in a conversation that we'll be uh, hosting with the directors and uh, activists through Cinema Politica. Um, I'm working on that. It's going to be on the 28th of February, cinemapolitica.org. You can register and you'll also be able to view the film uh, for a period of time through the Cinema Politica website. And today on Free City Radio, I was happy to host a conversation with the directors. Um, And this is the 94th edition of the program. Thank you so much for being with us uh, today. I'm Stefan Christoph uh, in Montreal. And to finish the program today, I'll go out with a piece of music I heard on Radio Alhara uh, from Gail Costa. And um, I produce a monthly music mix for Radio Alhara. You can find that through our channels where you can also find this program on Spotify, iTunes, and uh, also through our weekly community radio broadcast on CKUT 90.3 FM. We broadcast Wednesdays at 11 o'clock. I'm Stefan Christoph. This has been the 94th edition, wow, of Free City Radio. We bring two new episodes a week, and I'll talk to you soon. Uh, please tell a friend about the podcast. Take care.
Que eu quero 